0: You are listening to Understanding Disordered Eating with Rachel Heinemann. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and a certified eating disorder specialist. On this weekly podcast, we talk about all things psychoanalysis and eating disorder recovery. It's a combination of interviews with experts in psychoanalysis and eating disorders and some solo episodes where it will just be the two of us. The goal of the podcast is to help you try to understand a little bit more about yourself Gain a deeper understanding for why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. Hey, hey, episode 116 with Dr. Marianne Miller. If you're looking for a way to take some of these ideas, especially the ones that seem a little bit more, quote, deep... And apply them to your life. Head on to the show notes or to my website and grab your free copy of my journal prompts. It's gonna be a really wonderful way to take some of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and tailor it individually to your life. It also gets you in a place where you're starting to think about the things that we talk about as it relates to you and not these concepts that just sort of exist in our brains. Today, Marianne and I are talking about bariatric surgery and eating disorders. And really just how the idea of weight loss surgeries really impact, besides for people with eating disorders, just people in general. And this is obviously a, a conversation that we've been having peripherally, especially with all the GLP ones, Ozempic, Wegovy, because that's a hot topic now. But even just from last year's AAPs guidelines that just sort of gave the go-ahead for kids that have... The, the idea of kids being suggested to have weight loss surgery. This is, by the way, I think on the recording, I'm recording this after uh, the interview. I think I said the APA, which is not the AAP. The APA is American Psychological Association. This is the American Academy of Pediatrics, which put out the um, terrible guidelines. I'll link to the show notes in my interview with Jessica Setnick on that a year ago. But the idea was that kids are saying, we are telling kids to go on medication to at least be evaluated for weight loss surgery. And it is incredibly harmful because the idea of weight loss surgery is that it is completely irreversible. There is no going back once. And I love the way that Marianne puts this, once a part of your body is amputated. And so we talk about, you know, obviously, and we reiterate this while we're talking We are not bariatric surgeons. We are not medical professionals in the space of bariatric surgery. And so obviously the nuances of the surgery is is not what we're going to be talking about, nor is it our area of expertise, but how it impacts people. And specifically, maybe I'm going to guess, but there's a large percentage of people who are candidates and go through with weight loss surgery who have eating disorders. And then when they come out on the other end, they still have an eating disorder, and so we go through all the different pieces that you really have to consider if you're in a position where you're thinking about bariatric surgery, or you're working with somebody who is considering bariatric surgery. And by the way, there, a lot of these concepts can be applied to the current ozempic wave. But I do think that this conversation is really, really important. Now, before I share my interview with Marianne, let me share a little bit about her. Dr. Marianne Miller has been in the mental health field for like almost 3 decades. She specialized in eating disorders for over a decade. She was a full-time academic for 12 years and had a part-time eating disorder practice until left the university and then went into private practice full-time several years ago. She works as a therapist and a coach. She works from a non-diet perspective, feminist, weight inclusive, and she has a lot of experience with people who have been, either been through weight loss surgery or contemplating weight loss surgery and now before I continue to talk about our conversation let's just hear the conversation all right Marianne thank you so much for coming on the podcast I'm really really excited to have you and to chat this is such a treat for me oh I'm so happy to be here thanks yeah um I think it's really in- important to have the conversation that we're going to have mostly because. The conversations that are happening in the world about different types of weight loss surgeries and why people should get it and endorsements. And and of course, like what people call an obesity crisis, like all this, there's so much chatter and it's not coming from anybody who's part of the weight inclusive community. It's just people who are trying to promote it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at least just bringing in some more information about like what's behind the door number two that people don't really tell you about (laughs) is so, so important.
1: Yes, I I completely agree. And, you know, the the obesity crisis, just that term or even the term obesity definitely didn't come from the weight inclusive community because obesity is it's considered a Disease. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's been a lot more coming out, like with Oprah recently, saying I realized I had a disease, and that's why she got on Ozempic. And well, I don't think she specified Ozempic. I don't remember, but she got on some sort of medication. We're assuming Ozempic. And yeah, one um, of the GLP
0: ones. Whatever. They're all great. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. And and so she said, I realized I had a disease, and so. That's very marginalizing and oppressive in so many ways. But that's what the obesity experts and all the obesity research, which is so highly funded, um, Mm -hmm. you know, all uh, all of the researchers are saying, yes, it's a disease and it's an epidemic, and so we need to do these things to help fix this disease. And it goes against a weight-inclusive perspective, which is more of, of like, we don't have to do all these things that are very risky for our health in order to treat this boat disease, because it's actually not a disease, all bodies are different, and, you know, fat isn't a bad thing.
0: Yeah. And I think it, maybe at this point, it's not super new or coming up on, you know, over a year at this point. But ever since the APA put out their guidelines mm-hmm. last year that recommended we loss surgery for kids, basically, yep. Yep. The, that sort of people just take it with, you know, just as a suggestion. This is what the APA right. says. And, and if I know anything, I'd be like, well, the APA, I mean, like, they obviously right. know more about medicine than I do. And we're putting this in people's minds without introducing any of the nuance that you were referring to. They're just saying, oh, well, the weight is an issue. And so we have to attack the weight or or address the weight. We're really like, okay, well, there's so much more to this story. And then we just end up doing harm because, you know, for so many different reasons, but even just talking about the process of, of a weight loss surgery, what happens? Like, if I wanted a weight loss surgery, I can come to a doctor and say, hi, can you do the surgery tomorrow? Like, how does it work?
1: Well, uh, I want to share a caveat is, is that I don't do assessments for weight loss surgeries. There is a group of therapists that that's their thing is they do assessments. Um, because I don't believe in weight loss surgery, I won't do assessments for it. That said, I was thinking,
0: well, I, you can do as assessments and you'll just provide an not eligible yeah, every time.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, is, uh, is, I have had quite a few people who had gastric sleeve or gastric bypass surgeries in the past, or sometimes multiple surgeries, and then end up coming to me later because they're still mm-hmm. struggling and their eating disorder behaviors are still active. I have had uh, some clients, uh, a few, who have gone through the gastric uh, sleeve surgery, and I was their therapist throughout that. Now, uh, granted, I worked with them for a while prior to them making this decision. And so um, uh, they were in a much better headspace. Than a lot of people when it comes to uh, getting surgeries, and so I'll I'll share more about that without giving any identifying information, of course, in a little
0: bit. Yeah, I think they can be helpful because people will probably identify with so many different stories. Yes, especially because people come to this conclusion or even try to entertain the idea of weight loss surgery because they feel like they're out of options.
1: Yes. Yeah, just they're like, I've tried every, every diet under the sun and nothing works. And I'm just over it. Uh, sometimes people are saying, you know, I've been fat ever since I was a kid. I was teased about it. Um, I just, I, I'm tired. And I'm just going to do the surgery. I've seen all um, so and so celebrities, or I have so and so friends who've done it. And they said it's the best thing that they've ever done. Um, so they, they go to, um, doctor surgeons who specialize in this and, um, the surgeons give them. So if a person were to do that, they, they give them an assessment and they, they have to meet with a therapist who does an assessment, but it's basically a therapist assessing them for Like, are they having suicidal ideations? Are they having depression? Are they having any sort of co-occurring issues that may get in the way of having a successful surgery process? And so in terms of like the weight cutoff, like a BMI cutoff, I have no idea what that is. And to be honest, I think it probably varies. Per surgeon, uh, I'm sure if probably. some surgeons you pay them enough that um, <laughs> you could probably get yeah a gastric sleeve or gastric bypass and and just very quickly I wanted to share the difference between gastric sleeve and gastric bypass and so gastric sleeve is the removal of a portion of the stomach in gastric bypass a small gastric pouch is created and the small bowel is rerouted. And uh, gastric bypass is more invasive than gastric sleeve because of the rerouting of the small bowel. And I got this from templehealth.org. <laughs> 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 so,
0: but just for people to understand a, a little yeah. bit, obviously, like if you want specific information about bar- bariatric surgery, we're not your people, but right. just for them to understand where we're coming from what we're from. talking yeah. about. Yeah. And yeah. where we're coming from. Correct. Yeah. But also just to, to understand the extent to which people are going to yes. lose weight is that they right. are going to reroute their organs, take out right. a piece of their system. Mm-hmm. This is not right. a small thing. No, it's
1: it's not a small thing. It's it's an amputation of it's amputation of a major organ.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Just to add to your assessment piece, when people go for an assessment, mm-hmm. like you were saying, there are people that do this, in which case, like you, you had better believe they're turning this out like a machine. Yeah. You know, this is, of course, generalization, but people say, and this is anecdotally, I've heard from people say, this is the screening. I, I did this screening for an eating disorder. They screen for eating disorders because they don't do bariatric surgery on eating disorders or, or something like that. And the screening that they have for eating disorders is just either non existent or completely right. inaccurate, and so the people who come to us after I'm like, "Oh, yeah, it's a raging eating disorder here. How were
1: you cleared right right and it's it's very minimal if non existent I mean the, the people like nine point nine times out of ten, my understanding is that the people who are doing these evaluations are not eating disorder experts you know right. occasionally i think i know one person in san diego who does um bariatric surgery evals and also has uh, expertise in eating disorders so so i think that largely and and the people that i've worked with who've gone through gastric sleeve surgeries the person doing the evals were just general practitioners and Mm -hmm. it sounds like they were just going off like a checklist okay just want to make sure you know you're not depressed and you're not you know self-harming or you know and it's to be honest it's a liability issue
0: (laughs) yeah of course i mean we're talking about (laughs) a surgeon right yeah
1: major surgery
0: yeah Um, and so what typically happens after that is that they're like a six-month waiting period or something once they get approved again,
1: I think it really depends on the surgeon. Mm -hmm. sounds like you and I were talking before the podcast and it sounds like you've heard that there is a six month waiting period where people try different options. Um, I've heard that there are people who, um, don't have to wait that long and they, they get in quite quickly. Wow. And then prior to the surgery, they need to lose weight prior Mm -hmm. to the surgery. And so they're put on a A very restrictive diet, usually with protein shakes or protein drinks. It's very restrictive and then it cuts out a lot of different foods. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that is to lose weight and prior to the surgery. And then part of it is to get your bowels to the point where it's not processing a lot of like fiber rich foods or things like that. Yeah. So, like, right before the surgery, I think they're just on liquids or something like that.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm staying on here is the fact that there are some people that can decide this or it has been Mm -hmm. suggested to them. They go for this quote assessment. Mm -hmm. And then very soon after, they'll Mm -hmm. go through with the surgery. And it's not that, I mean, it's no secret that both of us are not the biggest fans of this surgery. Mm -hmm. But I think even if it was something that we'd entertain, it's a massive surgery. It's like a really big decision that you cannot take back in any way for the rest of your life. And to think that the turnover of when you decide from when you're done with the procedure is so short, that just seems to me so negligent when making big decisions like this.
1: Yes, I I completely agree. And, um, you know, the complications that can happen with these surgeries are quite, the number of complications is quite high. You know, um, the chances of infection and like getting a staph infection, getting things like that is quite high as well. And, you know, if you have uh, other coexisting health issues, it can affect things. But, you know, for many surgeons, it doesn't matter. It's really, right. it is very, fraught. my perception of this, I haven't seen any numbers, is that this is a very profitable surgery. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, like, it's it, not only because of being paid for the surgery, but also they they get their patients to like buy their special protein shakes or these special, yeah, it's like you have like Weight Watchers and, you know, a a place that sells not, not even Weight Watchers, but like these protein drinks and different kinds of specialized food that people buy. And then you go to their dietitian and there, So it's like a lot of in-house mm-hmm. um, things that that they can charge people for, or charge people's insurance for. Um, yeah. So a lot of people do have to get a special, they have to be qualified by their insurance for their insurance to pay for it. But if money is not an issue, then people can just pay for it out of pocket. So. I don't, and I'm sure the qualifications for insurance companies vary considerably.
0: Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about the after for a second, Mm -hmm. because I think for the most part, when it's been reported on from maybe more mainstream media or directly from hospitals and doctors, the outcome is sort of this like beautiful life where you lose a ton of weight and maybe your eating has to be a little different, but this is how your life can be wildly different. So you lose weight, you keep it off. And of course, like that's like the only thing that matters in the world, um, said sarcastically. But what actually mm-hmm. happens?
1: <laughs> well, it's a very painful surgery. It's uh, even gastric sleeve, which is less invasive. It's very painful. And so you're hurting a lot and there's significant recovery time that needs to be, uh, built in. And after the surgery, you are having just liquids at first, and it's 300 calories. And for many, uh, for many weeks, you're eating about 300 calories. And wow. so that is, I know, I know. When I learned that, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and it eventually climbs up over. You know the weeks and the months afterwards, but initially, you're in a lot of pain, and when you do eat, it has to be just liquids. Um, a lot of the you have to make sure you take a lot of the protein drinks to make sure that the you're getting nutrients that you're not getting from food, and they're on a lot of vitamins prior to the surgery as well. And, um, yeah,
0: it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very painful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's just pause there for a second. It's acknowledging the fact that this is, uh, basically a diet to starve someone and, you know, we can't do that. So we at least have to add in some, some vitamins or a lot of vitamins and at least hit some sort of protein mark, which I I don't Mm. know how much you can do with, with such a small amount of intake coming yeah, in. Yeah, I, yeah. But th- to me, I, I think vitamins are are great for people who take them, whatever, especially if you need them for a specific situation. But to me, this is like an admission. We know that this is starving you. So let's mm-hmm. try like maybe not to die or something mm-hmm. or other, right. um, which right. also seems so, Um, you know, they just sort of like slip it in mm-hmm. and and don't yep. really acknowledge what this amount of food does for a person's body, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. The and when I found that out, when I found out like 300 calories, I'm thinking, wow, that's like severe anorexia. I mean, mm-hmm. not just like run of the mill anorexia, that's severe anorexia. That's what gets people in hospitals, right. So it is just really terrifying to me. Um. And, and also, you know, people are at risk for getting surgeries. uh, So, or I'm sorry, getting infections. And so you don't, you know, your body doesn't have much to work with when it's just 300 calories. So I imagine their immune systems are compromised. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yes, 300 calories. I was like, oh my gosh, that is just. A lot for me to swallow, no pun intended.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm curious yeah. if there's some sort of, like, I don't know, any anything behind this. Is that they're saying the body can't tolerate any food, and that's why they're doing this, or is this part I of the weight so. loss journey? Is,
1: yeah, I, my understanding is because the, uh, you know, the, the stomach is either bypassed or amputated, it's a lot smaller, so it can really only fit, you know. 300 calories worth of food per day, mm-hmm. um, in the beginning. And then eventually it stretches out some, um, that's, uh, and so you can start eating more foods. Uh, but it's, it, yeah. And the weight loss is very fast in the, be- especially in the beginning. It's, it, mm-hmm. it's actually faster with the gastric bypass than the gastric sleeve, but it's mm-hmm. still pretty fast with the gastric sleeve, but the way that I think about things is, you take anyone who hasn't had this very risky invasive surgery, and you put them on 300 calories a day. They're going to lose weight. They also very well may end up in the hospital. Probably will. Mm-hmm. You know, if if not like a major eating disorder treatment program, right? It just seems so negligent, like you said. It just seems scary, mm-hmm. but it's passed as okay because these patients are in larger bodies right and so it's saying well it's it can't be anorexia or it can't be anorexic type symptoms, you know behaviors because people have are in larger bodies so it's okay Mm -hmm. to reduce them versus someone who uh, is in a straight size who has thin privilege you put them on 300 calories a day and they're starving themselves and they're going to end up in you know, everybody's scared and, oh my gosh, you're not eating right. enough and <sighs> freak out. It's built, it contributes to this notion uh, that being fat is bad
0: and you have to do yeah.
1: whatever it takes to not be fat.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about this, you know, current ongoing conversations of GLP ones, et cetera, is this idea of people taking in so little energy that you know, to people like us, that's starving. That's highly problematic. But part of the argument is that people say that they're not hungry, whether it's from the medication or after their surgery. And and you know, that's almost the point. Not almost that is the point, that they're not hungry. And so it's they say it's different from restricting Mm -hmm. to so few calories because, you know, my body doesn't need it now. Which also feels really sticky. I I mean I'm not a doctor. I don't know if that's true. I find it really hard to believe that that's true they're not hungry well i can believe that they're not hungry if say they went through right. the surgery or they're on ozempic or something that i can totally believe but the question of therefore i don't need it mm-hmm. is i find it so hard to believe that anybody right. in an adult body can function on so few calories
1: yeah it's it's like the weirdest thing um and <laughs> i yeah, i think about like they say well in the this whole procedure is to make people not hungry and not feel hunger basically switch off the part of their brain that regulates hunger and fullness cues mm-hmm. and like there's again like I've thought, that's so messed up you know it's like basically they're bypassing the hunger cues that their stomach is there are neurotransmitters in their stomachs stomachs are considered the second brain and they're like chopping off a piece of that and so it scares me. It really does. And it's like, yeah, occasionally there may be someone who has a quote, and I'm putting air quotes around this, a successful surgery. There are so many people who really struggle and get really sick and mm-hmm. get you know these infections and have these whole things. And it's, again, it's all based in the fact that our society sees thin people as good, as healthy, as morally superior. Versus Mm -hmm. fat people are smelly, ugly, stupid, Mm -hmm. um, morally inferior.
0: Besides for, you know, some like really scary things, infections and and things like that, that are really, really risky. What could happen later? I think like, you know, the sort of success stories that have been painted by mainstream media is you lose weight and you live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. But that's not Always the case, and maybe we make the argument that's not usually the case. So what what can happen in the not so happily ever after?
1: Well, people typically have not. Oh gosh, I don't want to overgeneralize, but if people have an eating disorder, an active eating disorder, whatever eating disorder it is, it could be atypical anorexia, it could be bulimia, it could be bingeing disorder. You know, pick one and they don't treat the eating disorder, and they have gastric bypass surgery, they may feel like, oh my gosh, I feel better, you know, my relationship with food is changing, everything's fine initially, but that eating disorder is never going to go away unless it's treated, and so it ends up coming back and rising to the surface, and, and so people end up gaining the weight back again, or maybe they don't gain the weight back, but they have those obsessive thoughts mm-hmm. uh, about food, eating, and body image that it still drives their their lives. And they're just like psychologically miserable. I mean, they experience a lot of anxiety and depression because they're so obsessed about food, eating, and body image. I mean, the few people that I've worked with who've gone to decide to go through the surgery, we did extensive work getting them to the point where they were completely recovered from the eating disorder prior to getting surgery and i even told them like not a fan of surgery <laughs> <laughs> i was i was very honest with them and they decided to go through it anyway and i said okay i will keep working with you i will support you through this to make sure that you don't relapse mm-hmm. into the eating disorder so even people who are recovered from an eating disorder I need to be in therapy throughout it and even my clients have said them have said i really need to be in therapy you know i I recommend that people be in therapy throughout the whole process before during and after yeah and eating disorder therapy because otherwise it's not going anywhere and then Mm -hmm. so the clients that i've had who have had past Gastric bypass, gastric sleeve surgeries, sometimes multiple bypass sleeve surgeries. Multiple. And oh yeah, oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. So and they come to me and they're still miserable. They're uh, obsessing mm. about food, like ninety to hundred percent of the time. Sometimes they're still binging. Sometimes there's purging behaviors. Definitely restrictive behaviors. And they're just absolutely miserable. And then, you know, I get them to the point where they're able to change their relationship with food, change their relationship with their bodies, and they they recover completely. And that is what helps. And it's, it takes longer often than mm-hmm. having a gastric bypass or a gastric sleeve surgery.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing with therapy or or any addressing any issue at its root is that there's no instant gratification a surgery is maybe after you heal there's very obvious change almost immediately right and that's not the case with eating disorder treatment no and and certainly not with therapy and so when we put one against the other for somebody who needs immediate relief it's hard you know I think that we can have a tremendous amount of compassion for people who choose to go through with the surgery because, you know, in their situation, there is no other alternative. Maybe they've tried eating disorder treatment before and it hasn't worked. Mm. You know, it's it's just, we obviously can't yeah. judge. We don't know right. anybody until we right. live their lives and we're never going to live their lives. Right. But, you know, just seeing the other side of it where... All this unicorn and rainbows are marketed mm-hmm. and that's not mm-hmm. necessarily the case. If you're doing the surgery just to lose weight, you should know how many people don't or gain it back later, in which case your body's mutilated forever for what?
1: Yeah, exactly. And so uh, another thing that can happen after surgeries is called uh, dumping syndrome. Mm. As uh, sometimes, and I'm getting this from the National Institutes of Health website, is that so their gastrointestinal symptoms and they can include diarrhea, nausea, epigastric fullness, and abdominal cramps. um It can also include uh, vasomotor symptoms such as sweating, decreased consciousness. I mean, decreased Ooh. consciousness, <laughs> <laughs> shakiness, hunger, and difficulty. To concentrate, so you know dumping syndrome is is a real thing, and that is what my clients have had to struggle with, and that does not go away like mm-hmm. it could be years, years after uh, people have gastric sleeve gastric bypass, and they still struggle with dumping syndrome it, it has to do with if you eat too fast, if you mm-hmm. eat certain foods that don't sit with you right, then you get these uh, symptoms. And so that's something that's a hundred percent of my clients who have had it in the past, who had it. And I went to, th- you know, I saw them in therapy during the process. Um, they, uh, experienced dumping syndrome and they had to manage it forever.
0: Yeah. And then also I can tell you how many people have been through the surgery and now there's, because of this new wave of all the medications that are on the market, now they're asking about the medications, which to yeah. me medically, I, I'm not a doctor, but just seems like really scary. Just, you know, sort of put one medicine surgery on top of another and then deal with the problems later with another medicine or surgery. that just seems really, really scary. But even the fact that they're these are people who have gone through really invasive surgeries and now are at the point where they're requesting these medications. I mean, like if that doesn't say enough for how successful or unsuccessful their surgeries can be, I don't know what does.
1: Right. And I just like very worrisome for the gastrointestinal system because mm-hmm. really the gastrointestinal system is a, a wonderful, beautiful system that works so well. And it can if you're eating regularly, eating mechanically, you know, making sure you're feeding it. Mm-hmm. You and I have seen. Clients who have, you know, if they've been restricting a lot, binging, purging, binging, restricting, you know, their gastrointestinal system is all out of whack. And so getting their gastrointestinal system working more smoothly is such an important part of eating disorder recovery. But you add a surgery on top of that or medication on top of that, and that is just like really complicating your surgery. And that, my clients tell me that it takes about a year for them to feel normal. You know, Um, it's, it's a long time. Another thing that I didn't know until I had clients who went through this is that you lose a lot of your hair because you're, it's, yeah, it's kind of similar with, Severe restriction right. is that mm-hmm. your body doesn't have the calories or n- nutrients, the energy, to um, maintain certain systems in your body, and so like y- your nails can get thinner, your your hair gets quite thin, it falls a lot of it falls out, and that's mm-hmm. very hard. Yeah. And circuit affects circulation, and so you might be colder, especially your your feet, your hands and uh, things like that um so and i'm sure there's more more Mm -hmm. things but i mean the body knows what (laughs) when things aren't working right yes and so it and it can affect people's reproductive cycles i mean in terms of their uh getting periods and it can make people lose their periods for uh, it has amenorrhea a and I, I, it's just, it's just like, okay, these are the same symptoms as anorexia. Yeah, know exactly anoric, the same. So you can like go by and like mm-hmm. check them off the list. And so you, you medical professionals are putting people in that state on purpose. Mm-hmm. And now you're putting children in that state on purpose. Yeah. Children whose gastrointestinal systems are still developing. That yeah. just terrifies is me. Yeah, it's so terrifying. Yeah, and just the long-term effects that may occur in these children—it just breaks my heart.
0: Yeah, and I think this is this is something that you were talking about earlier. But just to sort of highlight this part, that the reason—or maybe not boiling it down to one—but from my understanding, the reason why this surgery exists is because people in the medical profession have determined that being in a certain body type is a problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we can't discount the fact that there might be a lot of science pointing to perhaps a correlation with some health issues. Maybe we don't know about individuals for sure in that case. Mm -hmm. But I think boiling it down to saying weight is the problem. Weight Mm -mm. requires medical intervention is the culprit here.
1: Yes, absolutely. It shows how much diet culture has and anti-fat bias, uh, weight discrimination has infiltrated the medical system and even like the larger medical systems like the American Academy of Pediatrics, like you said, all of these huge organizations and uh, even the U.S. governments, I mean, they're Mm -hmm. the ones giving so much funding for obesity research. not into eating disorder research. There's so much more money for obesity research than eating disorder research, which is Mm -hmm. appalling. Yeah, And so that's where a lot of research go, okay, well, you know, that makes sense. We'll just see fat as bad and then we'll get money to Mm -hmm. do our research because if we just work on the eating disorders, we're not going to get funding.
0: Yeah. So I know that this is not something we can tackle in a couple of minutes, but I wonder if we can just, Talk for even just a minute about say somebody is in this position and they feel completely hopeless like mm-hmm. I've tried everything. I feel terrible in every definition of the word yeah. you know what can somebody do, especially if they are considering weight loss surgery and we're saying like maybe reconsider, but you know what are some of their options like where can they turn? what can they do? What are maybe some some words of hope even? for them?
1: Well, uh, sometimes people turn to these surgeries because maybe they have knee problems or chronic pain and they think, well, you know, the weight is really causing knee problems. And that's not necessarily the case, just as a caveat. So I would say, what would you do if you had the body that you wanted and you still had knee problems? I would get physical therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what would you do if you had the body you needed and you wanted to work on your fitness? Well, I would work with a trainer. Well, yeah, work with a trainer, but work with a weight inclusive anti-diet trainer. Mm-hmm. If you're still struggling with food, eating and body image, work with an eating disorder therapist and eating disorder dietitian, change mm-hmm. your relationship with food, change your relationship with your body in my mind, it's not worth the risks. You know, I'm in a larger body. I'm I'm a fat woman. And I see these people, these celebrities who go through the surgeries, who take Ozempic and drop so much weight. And there's a part of my brain that's like, wow, it looks, quote, so easy. Mm-hmm. And being in a fat body is so much harder in our world. It's a harder life than being in a thin body because of all the discrimination. And lack of accessibility, and that's the reality. And so that can go away, you know. In some cases, I'm putting air quotes around that. Yeah, (laughs) um, that's the perception. If I take bzoempic, if I do the gastric bypass surgery, would it really affect the your relationship with food eating in your body? Uh, I have a way better relationship with my body now than I did when I was in a smaller body and in the the sick of my eating disorder. And so work on, see a uh, eating disorder specialist, you know, join, you know, there's a lot of free therapist-led eating disorder support groups out there. Find one of those, you know, mm-hmm. get help and ask yourself, okay, what would I do with this particular issue, like a knee problem, if I had the body that I wanted? Get the physical therapy, you know, mm-hmm. work yeah. on your health. Weight is not a predictor of health. There's been a lot of research out there to show that. So if you want to improve your health, just work on that and have it be completely separate from the aesthetic, from body size.
0: Yeah, and I think it might be hard to find, but there definitely are many practitioners that come from a weight-inclusive perspective or at least have some knowledge of it. and, And if we can find those, then you'll probably have a lot better of an experience in yes. within the medical community, getting the care that you need. And especially within the therapy world, there are plenty of people out there. So maybe let this be the turning point to seek some help that can actually be effective, not in the short term, but certainly in the long term.
1: Yes, I'm completely on board with that and seek some help. And it is it is a marathon, not a sprint, Yeah, uh, but one worth running.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, This was really, really helpful and informative. It was fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was. Before I let you
0: go, though, can you share with our listeners where they can find you?
1: Sure. So Dr. Marianne Miller on Instagram. I'm at Dr. Marianne Miller. And my first name is spelled M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E. It's the French spelling. So Dr. Marianne Miller. Uh, my website is com. If you'd like to work with me, if you live in the state of California or Texas, you can schedule initial consultation. Um, I have a web podcast called uh, Dr. Marianne Land and Eating Disorder Recovery Podcast. And I'm gonna have Rachel and a guest as a guest on it later this year. Yes, um, I'm excited
0: about that. Yeah, we'll link to all of these in the fun. show notes.
1: Yes. Yeah. And then I have some coaching options uh for people who live outside of California and Texas too. So
0: that's awesome. So Marianne is one name or is it It's so- one name. One yeah. name. Yeah. So it's uh cool. D-R-M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E-M-I-L-L-E-R. Love that. <laughs> yeah. All <laughs> right. And like I said, I'll we'll link all these the show notes so you guys don't have to take notes. Perfect. Uh, but thank you. Thank you again. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. This is great.
0: You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.